Acts chapter 9, while you're turning there, there are some unsung heroes in every church, people who really make a difference, and you may not realize it, and Barnabas is one of these people that God, through the pages of Scripture, illuminates and says, look at this guy, watch him, and learn from him. Now, obviously, we just finished youth camp, and I believe the Apostle Paul is the greatest Christian who ever lived. Think about it. This is a guy who totally changed, totally switched from hating and hunting Christians to loving them, to investing in their lives and to dying for them. In the last 25 years of his life, he, tra- he traveled well over 10,000 miles by foot, by ship, all across the Middle East and into Europe, just trying to preach and teach a pagan religious people about a living Savior. He started dozens and dozens of churches. Each time that he went on a journey, he just, he'd go into a city, he'd spend just three weeks there and a church would be started. It just, just amazing life he lived. He preached to kings and to sailors. He faced angry mobs and he preached sometimes all night to passionate Christians. Can you imagine coming to church and not finishing church until the morning. But that was Paul. Um, he wrote 14 of the books of the New Testament. Now, put that in perspective, that's one-third of your New Testament. Half of your New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the emphasis of the New Testament, is the gospel. But Paul wrote a third of the New Testament, and the other 20% was written by Peter, James, John, and, uh, uh, talking about first, second, third, John, and, and Revelation, Jude, and, and and uh, it's just an amazing thing, besides the book of Acts, and, and that's uh, only 20% of your New Testament. He wrote a lot. But the Apostle Paul was not a Greek Christian by accident, neither by nature. Sometimes, and I think about it, I think about how many people think uh, about serving. And they think that, oh, so-and-so, they're such a great person. They They just got that nature about them. Well, Paul didn't. Paul was a killer. Paul was the last person you wanted to have a, you know, uh, have as your friend, uh, either saved or lost. His nature was the opposite of anything that you could ever trust or be comfortable with. So his nature was not to be a great Christian. It took somebody investing in him and forging a great Christian. And there are two unsung heroes, there are probably many more, but there are two unsung heroes in the life of the Apostle Paul that stand out. Here in Acts chapter 9, I want to introduce you to the first one. I thought about preaching about this guy because he is very intriguing, but I moved on to the second man. I'll explain about Barnabas in a second. But the first guy who's an unsung hero in the life of the Apostle Paul was a guy named Ananias. Look at Acts chapter 9. And the argument that Ananias has is is cute because Saul of Tarsus has come to Damascus for one purpose. What was his purpose? Anybody remember? It was to hunt down. It was to force converted Jews to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ and come back to, to Israel. Now, this is not something just particular to Israel. It happens in all religions. If you ever remember anything about the Dark Ages, if you ever became a Christian, the work of the bishop was to get you to recant through being tortured and uh, to come back under the authority of the Church of Rome. That was the Inquisition. That was a lot of the time of the Catholic Church. So here was Saul coming with such design to hurt the the believers up in Damascus. And, And Ananias is told by the Lord Jesus... He is told, I want you to go and, and meet up with Saul of Tarsus. Now, that name must have just run shivers down his spine. He said, you've got to be joking, Lord. I'm in hiding because of this guy. And the Lord says, no, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and I, I, I want you to, to baptize him. I want you to uh, treat him as a brother. I want you to encourage him. And Ananias goes, Lord, you got the wrong guy. This is this, He wants to kill me. And this is cute because... Ananias has to step out by faith and follow God's call. Ananias is just as called as Saul was going to be. When Saul goes out and starts churches, the call of God on Ananias to influence one life 
If you can only influence one life, I mean, you've got to think about what am I, what impact am I making in this life? Am I going to enter into heaven ashamed of having no impact? Ananias was just as powerfully called by Jesus to go to one man as Saul was to go to the world. So get the point. Saul is told, I want you to go to one man, the man that you're least interested in, the man that is most scary, the man who probably, if, if, if he had his way, he would kill you. I want you to go to him and look at verse uh, I wanted you to look at verse 17. And Ananias, and I like how Ananias obeys. He just does what, what the Lord tells him to do. And Ananias went his way and he entered into the house and putting his hands on him, he said, what are the next two words? Now that must have come very hard because this is a killer he's talking to. This is a persecutor. This is somebody who had the authority to, to take Ananias' family, put them in prison, and he says, Brother Saul, wow. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me. I'm sure his voice is quivering. <laughs> that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately, verse 18, there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and he rose and was baptized. I want you to understand the first thing that Ananias does when he comes into the room and meets Paul. What is Saul doing at that point? He is praying. But Saul has no sight. He's, he's, he's blind at this point. He's been blind for three days, and he's sitting there. Somebody's come, in, come into the room. Saul has no idea who it is, and Ananias comes in and does this to him. I don't know if that means anything to you in our Western culture, but for Saul to be so affectionately touched and said, Brother Saul. I mean, can you imagine how that put Saul at ease? Can you imagine the power of just that bit? If, if Ananias came in and just at the door said, uh, this is as close as I dare get, Saul, and, uh, um, I was sent to tell you you're gonna be okay, and, and have a nice day. <laughs> that would not have helped Saul, do you understand? He had to go out of his comfort, had to go up to somebody who is the most fearful man, the most terrifying man, and put his hand on him and says, Brother Saul, Welcome to the kingdom. <laughs> it must have been terrifying for Ananias, but can you imagine how helpful it was to Saul? That helped Saul be ready to now live a totally different life. That one tiny bit of influence. Now that was one unsung hero. That's all Saul Ananias did. Are you with me? Ananias didn't take him on discipleship for the next two years. Ananias just encouraged him. But there was another man, a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas believed in Saul. He helped Saul become the great apostle that we know of so well today. A lot of people want training. A lot of people want to prove themselves. We And, and that's all fine. Everybody needs to go through discipleship. Everybody needs to be in church. Everybody needs to be, be reading their Bible. But you know what a church needs? It needs people that believe in each other. It actually says, I know you can't do it, but with God's help, God will get you through. And I just believe in you. I just believe you're going to be okay. And that's not, that's not trite. And that's not hurtful. That's just somebody saying, don't believe the devil. That you're going to fail. Because just, I just believe in you. Because Saul is now, he's out of his league. He's, he's like a fish out of water. He's amongst all these Christians. And the Christians, every time Saul went into a church, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> Everybody was jumping out the windows. It just, and it took Barnabas to come and say, hey, guys, 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 he's okay. I believe in him. You need a friend like that. Would you agree? Yeah. Now, without these two men and others, as I said, Saul of Tarsus would never have become the great apostle Paul that we read about and know about. So let's take a good look at Barnabas this morning, and maybe it might touch your heart that you can be one too. Father, bless our thoughts this morning and teach us about others. We all have needs. There's not one of us who doesn't wish we had a Barnabas for a friend. We, we yearn for somebody who would go beyond the call of duty, go beyond what is expected, and would just pick us up and encourage us and hold us for a while. That is so important. But maybe today we decide to, whether anybody does or not, we will. Lord, we need a church full of Barnabases. That's what will make a great church. And it will make great Christians. 
Lord, I pray that you touch every heart, meet every need, as only you can. I can't say anything that will impress or move or motivate. It's going to have to be by your spirit and by your word, so please do it. In Jesus' name, amen. He's got a great name. Go to Acts chapter 4 now. Acts chapter 4. We'll just read 33 to 37, Acts 4, 33 to 37, and we'll look at his name, Acts 4, verse 33. Well, we'll go back to verse 32. I should have said that. And the multitude of them that were believed were of one heart and one soul. That's a great church. Neither said any of them that ought of any of the things which they possessed, which he possessed was his own. He says, I've got a car here. You can have it. I've got houses, I've got lands, they just, they just, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, even though there was great persecution and people would normally be starving because they were fired from their jobs, they didn't have welfare, their families kicked them out. And yet in this church, there was not any one of them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses, they sold houses. Now, you, I may sell some, I may go onto eBay and sell some shoes, you know, and give that away. You know, I may sell an old computer that just barely works and raise some money and put that in the mission. But these people were selling houses, their houses, to make sure they had enough money to take care of the other Christians. That's a great church. Uh, and they brought the prices of the things that were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distributed distribution was made to every man according as he had need. And Joseph, we'd say Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, talking about this Barnabas guy, he had land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this guy, we call him Barnabas, but his original name was Joseph. In the Greek, it's Joseph, so it comes out in the King James Bible, it's Joseph, or just call him Joe. But Joseph's a great name, amen? If you've ever read your Bible, you know about faithful Joseph, who through 22 years of, of trouble by his brothers, and then in slavery, and then in prison, uh, Joseph stayed faithful and God blessed him and raised him up as a prince in Egypt and, and an incredible name. So that was the name that they gave to their son. But when he became a follower of Jesus, all the Christians gave him another name. They said, uh, Joseph's a great name, but you're a Barnabas. We're going to call you Barnabas. Now, Barnabas just means Bar is like O'Reilly, okay? The son of Riley. Anyway, Barnabas means the son of consolation, a man of encouragement, a consoling man, someone who carries you when you can't walk. He's a helper. What a great name to have. <laughs> what a great name to have. Think about it there. Barnabas was a name that he got not from his parents, but because of how he lived. I wonder what people name you. <laughs> there comes trouble. <laughs> That's the kind of name that he had. Everybody just says, there's that helper. There's the guy that just comes along and picks you up. Never says a hurtful word. Never gripes. Never complains. Never gossips. He just comes and says, how you doing today? Hey, listen, why don't we go out for lunch? Hey, my treat. And you go, again? That was a Barnabas. Now he was a good man. This is no doubt. Let's let's go back to Acts chapter eleven. He was a but he was a great Christian. Acts chapter eleven and verse twenty-four. Now Barnabas is on a a, a, a mission. He's gone up to visit a, a new church that has started up in Antioch. And in Acts chapter eleven and verse twenty-four, well, go back to verse twenty-two. The tidings of these things of this new church, full of Gentiles and Jews, getting saved. And tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas. They said, I, it must be hard to be a Gentile to be saved. It must be hard getting along with Jews. Barnabas, why don't you go and encourage him? They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And what did he do? 
he exhorted, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added to the Lord. Now, he was not just a good man, but I look at this guy and he stands out and, and, and uh, Luke writes about him because Barnabas was was not just a good man. And you meet plenty of good men, good women. They, they, they do great things. You read about all the uh, uh, the things throughout history of people who tried to do good and fair dues, amen. But Barnabas was not just a good man. He was a great Christian. Look at him here. He, uh, his life was full of three things, all right? Notice what's missing from it. But here, let's first look at what was in there. He was full of faith. What does that mean? He just believed God. This so affected Paul so that when Paul was on a ship and it was sinking and, and everybody's getting ready to jump to their death and try to, try to get to shore, Paul says, hold on everybody, we're going to be fine because I believe God. And he called them all back and they had a meal and they says, all right, now let's jump ship together. And they all made it to shore because Paul believed God. And I believe he believed God because somebody influenced him who also believed God. A great man of faith can influence others to believe God. Would you agree? It's very hard for a hypercritical, discouraged, doubting Thomas to, uh, to exude faith. Oh, it's just, it just can't get any worse. It's not how you can encourage somebody to believe God. Barnabas had an influence on Paul so that later on when Paul was in the worst of situations, Paul said, going to be okay. Silas, let's sing in the middle of prison. He was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Ghost. Not of alcohol. He was not full of all the entertainment. He was not full of, of this world. He was full of the Spirit of God. I think that would make a difference in our lives. One of the commands in the New Testament is be not drunk with wine. Don't even touch it. Don't even look at it. Proverbs says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby thinking they can handle it is not wise. What did, what did Barnabas want to be full of? The Spirit of God. He was full of the Holy Ghost and he was full of concern for others. I mean, it, 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 it was out of his way for Barnabas to go the uh, several hundred miles up to Antioch and to go up to people he'd never met and try to encourage them and yet he said, let's go. He's a great... Christian. You know, um, uh, I'll show you something. Look down, look back in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 9. Go back to Acts chapter 9, two pages back, verse 26. Show you how much he was in, he was involved in the apostle Paul's life. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And Saul, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, we'd say he attempted, he tried to join himself to the disciples, but they were what? They were all afraid of him, and they believed not that he was a disciple. It just couldn't be that he really was a Christian, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he, Saul, had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And from that moment, he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Barnabas, Barnabas cared about Saul. Look at chapter 11. As we just looked, but again, I want you to see verse 25 and verse 26. Chapter 11, verse 25. Then, now, I, I, I wish I had time, but after Saul has been in Jerusalem for just a little while in chapter 9. The Christians there said, Saul, we really appreciate you getting saved. We're really glad you're born again. It's been great, but could you leave? And and Saul felt so discouraged because he was a liability. Everywhere he went, he caused trouble. He attracted trouble because the Jews were trying to kill him. And every time Paul went somewhere, somebody would find these Christians and they would get in trouble. So they said, Saul, we really appreciate you getting saved. Could you go somewhere else? So where does he go? He goes home. He goes to Tarsus over in Spain. He, I'm sorry, uh, up in Syria. He heads up into Galatia. Sorry, I have to think of where he is. He goes up to home, which is several hundred miles away. And there he sits. And I want you to understand, he sits for eight years. 
and he waits. Doesn't know what God could do with him. Barnabas, remember in the previous verses of chapter 11, Barnabas has just gone up to Antioch, and he knows down in Jerusalem, Saul's not going to get along. But here's this new church. And Barnabas says, boy, these guys need a help. They need a teacher. They need somebody who will invest in them. I'm going to go get Saul. And Barnabas thought of Saul. Look there in verse 25. Verse 24, it says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people in Antioch was added to the Lord. So he's got lots of new believers, lots of people who need to be discipled. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him. That's what a helper does. Saul didn't go, whoo, let's go. Saul was reluctant to go. Saul was like, no, I, I, everywhere I go, I, I cause problems. No, I better just stay here. Listen, mom needs me. And Barnabas brought him. I don't know if Barnabas dragged him, kicking and screaming. I don't think so. But Barnabas talked him into going. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Because Barnabas didn't take it on and try to do it himself, but got Saul and cared about Saul's encouragement, by caring about Saul's encouragement and bringing him into the ministry, it helped a whole church. And that church became a model church for us today. All because Barnabas had concern about one man. Later, he had uh, concern for another guy named John Mark. We'll talk about him in a few minutes. But... Uh, Barnabas and Saul were going on missionary journeys in a little while, and they start doing this regularly. But I want you to see Barnabas, as, as called as he was to be a missionary, his first calling, and I believe his greatest gifting, was in investing in and encouraging and building up other believers. That was what God needed Barnabas to do, transforming them into great Christians. That didn't mean that he didn't go out and go preaching and teaching and discipling, but his his purpose as a missionary, his purpose as a soul winner, his purpose as a teacher was to encourage people. Now, how Barnabas made ordinary people into great Christians is no great mystery. He took chances. He took chances just believing in people. You know, some see only the spots and the failures and the problems and faults in people. Do you do that? Immediately you meet somebody and you size them up. Yeah. That happens far too often, man. Give somebody six seconds and you're, you're not worth anything. Barnabas. You know, most of us, if we met Moses, you know, we'd meet, we'd go, he's got a speech impediment. He can't even speak right. If we met, um, if we met Timothy, we'd go, he's too young. If we met Peter, James, and John, we'd go, too impertinent, too, too impatient, too uneducated. That's what we would think. And if you met Saul, you'd go, too much baggage, man. There's no way God could use him. I mean, he's a murderer. This guy's evil. <laughs> I don't care how saved he is. Too much baggage. That's what we might see. What did Barnabas see when he saw Saul? He says, a great apostle, a great future servant of God. See, he didn't look at the spots and the blemishes in the past. Barnabas saw potential. He took chances on people. Now, this this goes deep. Because when you take chances on people, guess what? You're going to be let down. Okay? Not everybody turns out great. But aren't you glad when people invest in you and take, chan take chances in the likes of us? Barnabas was able to see what the grace of God could do in anybody. Do you do that? Or do you go, that person, nah, too much history. And he sacrificed. Now, this is the bigger thing. One thing is to take a risk. The other one is to sacrifice yourself so that they succeed and you fall back. There's a guy in the beginning of the New Testament. His name was John the Baptist. You know what he did? Wow. He sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed his own life so that Jesus got all the glory. I would be willing to do that for Jesus. I don't know that I'd be willing to do it for you. And yet that's what Barnabas did. Are you with me? Is this hard? Okay. Are we quiet because we're understanding or are we quiet because we're on another planet? It is tough. But Barnabas is that kind of guy that gets me in the heart and says, 
Why can't I be more like him? He sacrificed when, when he had land, and he had lands. He had money. He had a career. He's a Levite. He could have had anything he wanted. He could walk into any city and say, I am a Levite, and they had to put him up. They had to um, set him up with housing. They had to provide him uh, wages. He was a guaranteed, all of his life taken care of by the people of Israel. He should, he should His career was secure, and he gave it up. He sacrificed it. He sacrificed, and he was... He sacrificed lands that he owned so that he could help others. This is a great guy that saw not his own life and what it might cost him, but saw others and what might happen. So he took chances. He sacrificed his own possessions. And there are two people that he helped. And I've already mentioned them, but I want to reiterate. The first one is a guy named John Mark. Go to Acts chapter 12 and verse 25. Acts 12, 25. They're getting ready. Uh, they're 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 in uh, Antioch. They're going to go to Antioch. They end up in in Antioch, and not only does Barnabas have Saul there, and Barnabas and and Saul are going to be called to be missionaries. But I want you to see that Barnabas thinks there's somebody else I could help. There's somebody else that ought to be in on this thing up in Antioch, and he thinks of a guy named John Mark, which is his actually his nephew, his sister's son. Verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry there, and they took with them this guy named John, whose surname was Mark. Now, who is John Mark? What's so important about this guy named John Mark? Anybody know? He wrote the book of Mark. Now, it's kind of funny. He couldn't write the book of John because that was already written. (laughs) So they chose his second name. This is the gospel according to Mark. But at this point, Mark is a little runny nose, maybe no more than 20, 25 years old. He's just fresh off the block. He's just barely newborn baby Christian. And Barnabas says, I got Saul here. He's doing great. I need to bring Mark in on this thing. And he brings Mark with him. Verse verse 25, it says, and he, and he took with him John, whose surname was Mark. And that's the attitude that Paul had. John Mark was a nobody. John Mark was, was not somebody with great faith. He had not accomplished anything in his life. And John and, and Barnabas says, well, let's get it going. Let's get started. Let me help you do something great. I like that. I like people who just want to help. And, and he transformed John Mark into the great writer of the Gospel of Mark. Later on, you're in Acts, but go ahead and go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Mark was so forged, so well prepared by Barnabas. It took years. Don't, don't misunderstand. He was not a quick magic word, sprinkle fairy dust type of situation. John Mark took years of investment by Barnabas and others. But in the end, guess who Paul yearns to have help him now? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Only Luke is with me. I want you to go back. Look at verse verse 9. Paul is alone except for one man with him who's Luke. And Paul writes to Timothy, verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Get here quick, he's saying. For Demas hath forsaken me. And, and, and in the ministry, guess what? People are going to abandon you. They're not going to be faithful. It, it just It's just human nature. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. So guess who he says? Go get Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. He'll help me help others. How did Mark get that way? Somebody help me. How did Mark become such a help to Paul? Barnabas. There's, Mark had, did not have that in his nature It was something that Barnabas invested in him. And Paul said down the line, when he was in prison and he was alone and he was discouraged, he said, I remember Mark. Could you, could you remember, could you get Mark? He'd be such a help to me. And then Saul of Tarsus. Now we've already read it and I won't go there because I've got some things to say and it will be done. But in, in, in Acts chapter nine, Barnabas believes in Saul 
He, he gets Saul amongst other Christians. He gets Saul accepted by him slowly but surely. And the help that Barnabas was to Saul transformed his life. None of these lives, the Gospel of Mark would not have been written if it weren't for one man. Who was it? Barnabas. And Saul of Tarsus would not have been a great Christian if it weren't for one man. What was his name? Barnabas. Don't miss this. Don't think, well, God doesn't need Barnabas. If that's true, then why is Barnabas there? Why did Barnabas have to be intertwined in these lives? Because God said, in order to make Saul into Paul, I need Barnabas. It was never easy for Barnabas. By the way, I just want to say, Barnabas didn't find this easy. And it is never easy to invest in others. It will always cost you. By the way, I've said this before, but I need to reiterate it, and that is every fruit that God ever gives you, the the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Every fruit that God gives you is meant to be picked. And you will end end up empty again and again and again, and you go back and you get filled again, and the fruit appears again, and then somebody takes it. (laughs) And we don't like it. We want the love to be about us. We want the peace and the joy to be about us. We want, it's not for us. The fruit of the Spirit is for others. So, it was never easy for Barnabas. He chose to be an encouragement. He just didn't slide into it. Oh, this is so easy. It's, it's not like a new car. The new cars, you ever, I don't know if anybody in this church has ever had a new car recently, but, uh, I mean, we kind of all sound the same level of, of, uh, of wealth <laughs> or not. But if you ever sit in a new car, all these new cars, as soon as you sit in, it automatically adjusts to your feet length. It's awesome, man. So how does it know? <laughs> and then all of a sudden you feel the seat warming up and you go, wow, it's got a heater in the bum, man. I mean, and, 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 I mean, it's incredible. Wouldn't it be nice if the ministry was just like that? It just developed all around you to your comfort. <laughs> It doesn't happen that way, does it? When you go into any ministry, when you try to help others, it's you're going into battle sometimes. So Barnabas chose to be an encouragement. That's the basis. That's the most important thing. There was no magic wand, no quick class to take, no pill or prayer. He just had a determined Christian heart to really live like Jesus did. Remember, Jesus went out of his way. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus walking by the seashore. And instead of looking for, for crabs and starfish and seashells, he's looking for people. What does he pick up on the seashore? A couple of arguing fishermen. James and John, sons of thunder, all they knew how to do was to blow their lids and to get upset. That's James and John. He said, hey, you're with me. He goes with Peter and, 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 and Andrew, two brothers. He goes and picks them and he says, hey, Peter, Andrew, come with me. And Peter's like, where are we going? I need to understand all this. T- tell me where we're going. Lord, I'm, you know, I, and, and, and he picked up two more misfits. He picked up, I mean, can you imagine the day he picked up Thomas? Thomas, come follow me. Oh, we're going to die. <laughs> You know what Jesus did? He was the pattern for Barnabas. He took a risk. He saw people beyond what they were, and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Amen? And then Jesus sacrificed his life. If Jesus had not died on that cross, those pitiful failure of men would have stayed nobody. But at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when they saw the risen Lord, Peter became the greatest preacher. Thomas went to India and gave his life. Uh, John and James. John, man, he let them boil him alive and he's singing in a, in a pot there when they were trying to, trying to persecute him and hurt him and he stayed alive and he wrote the, 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 uh, the, um, the, the book of Revelation after they tried to kill him and you find no remorse, you find no regret, you find no anger, no bitterness. You see him looking going, even so come Lord Jesus. Why were they so great? Because Jesus looked at him and says, follow me. I'll help you. And he invested in them, didn't he? Jesus ate with them, spent countless thousands of hours with them, investing in them. So Barnabas has a role model, doesn't he? As Jesus. He chose to be the encouragement, like Jesus. 
he endured persecutions. You know, he wasn't immune to troubles as part of the Christian life. Back in Acts chapter 2, 3 and 4, all he did was, was encounter uh, being fired, encountered people hungry, he encountered people being kicked out of their homes. I don't know if he was kicked out of his home. We have no idea. All I know is he had the same troubles everybody else had. He was rejected by his family and his nation because he was a traitor now. He was no longer a Jew in a Jewish nation anymore, just like it was when you got saved and your family said, this is a Catholic nation. Remember that? And you now turned your back. Remember that? That's nothing like what Barnabas and those people had to put up with. He was in, in, go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. It was not easy hanging around Paul. I mean, you're trying to encourage this guy who's getting stoned. And I'm not talking about the rolling stones. Anyway, type away. Acts chapter 14, verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came to the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to the next town. Now, Barnabas is there watching Saul get stoned. I mean, that takes... Maybe they didn't aim at Barnabas, but Barnabas, it's a terrifying thing to imagine. He's in, he's not in a safe place for all the snowflakes of today. You don't know what that word means to you. We watch the college campuses, how they're all freaked out, how everybody on the college campus wants to have a safe place where they're not being stressed out. Let me tell you, Barnabas had some stress that day. And he endured them. He put up with them. You know what he did? He just kept going. Just kept focusing on the needs of everyone else, no matter who they were. There's something great about that. He endured persecutions. You know that word endured is almost gone. Amen? I mean, the last thing you endured was a pile of peas, cold peas on your plate. That's the last thing you endured. How, how, how much do we endure for the Lord? He endured persecutions and troubles, and all they that will live godly shall what? Shall suffer persecution. And he overcame every obstacle against his efforts. You know, um, it's not easy to stand with a murderer like Saul and say, he's okay. <laughs> I mean, everybody going, Barnabas, have you lost your mind? He went ahead and just overcame everybody's confusion. I just see somebody, I'll tell it in a second here, who willingly took second place. Throughout it all, you find in Acts chapter 13, I'll show you this, go back two pages there, in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas started off as the leader, as the teacher. And uh, you'll find Barnabas and Saul, I said uh, 13, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now there were in the, in the church that was in Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, and look whose name's first. Now, that's an earned place. I don't think he was put there by accident. He's the first on the list because he's a great Christian. Are you with me now? So Barnabas starts off, Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod to Tetrarch, and who's last? Saul. Now, you got to understand the humor in this thing is Barnabas and, oh yeah, by the way, and, and Saul's with him, all right? Uh, go to chapter uh, 13, verse 7, which was with the country, uh, the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for, and he calls them in sequence, Barnabas and, oh yeah, who's the other guy with you? Yeah, Saul. <laughs> and desired to hear the word of God. But by verse 43, something starts happening. Still in chapter 13, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed. Who's first now? They're following Paul and Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Chapter, uh, verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, uh, Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against, there it is again, Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. I want you to think for a second. How would that make you feel? If in all the limelights, huh? If in all the limelights, you know, um, it's, uh, 
Oh, Mona and, and Allison. Mona and Allison. Mona, the great teacher, and who's the other girl? Uh, Allison. Yeah. Don't take it for all. Mona and Allison. Mona Allison. Mona and Allison are in the crash. Mona and Allison are in the Sunday school. Mona is doing this. And Mona's doing that. And Allison's there with it. But after a little while, it's Allison and Mona. Allison and Mona. Allison and Mona. And you know what's really funny? In the end, Paul and Barnabas got a little of a tiff, and they didn't become enemies, and they separated, and they went off into two different ministries. They kept going. But in the end, it's Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul. How would you feel if, after all the effort, if you were the the bright and shining star of some ministry, and then somebody else takes over the ministry you'd helped her do? Barnabas was like that. Barnabas was willing to take second place. He invested in the, in the, in the student, and then the student exceeded the master. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that awesome? That hurts. <laughs> like, don't they know? I, I invested in them. <laughs> he willingly took second place, but I, I just see in Barnabas, even when Paul and Barnabas had that tiff and they had to split up and they went off into two different ministries and they kept planting churches, there was no hatred, there was no anger, there was nothing like that. Barnabas took John Mark and they went off and did another uh, started churches and Paul and Silas kept going. But the point is, even when things didn't work out with somebody, they kept going. What stops you from being an encourager? What a way to live. What a way to live. Now, not everybody worked out. I already said that. I mean, you couldn't, you, you, you couldn't expect that everybody you invest in, everybody you pray for, everybody you witness to is going to get saved. Not going to expect that everybody who comes to church is going to stay in church. Amen. Not everybody who works with you in a ministry is going to stay in that ministry. But you know what? Some do. Some do get saved. Amen. Paul got up on Mars Hill. There were thousands of people listening to him preach about the resurrection. They all mocked. They all laughed. But when he finished, it says, some believe. And Paul said, it was worth it. Amen. And and Barnabas, I'm sure, hundreds of people he might have invested in, not everyone worked out. But he always looked back and he said, Saul sure did. John Mark sure did. Some will work out. They just do. The truth is this. Most people are the opposite of Barnabas. They are just like a guy named Diotrephes. Let's go look at it. Third John, the end of your Bible, just before Revelation. Third John. Chapter 1. Did you ever hear of Diotrephes? There seem to be a lot of them today, even though they don't carry the name. Third John, chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Makes it easy. Just before Revelation is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. So 3rd John, verse four, verse 9. This is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John and Revelation. He writes these words. He says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the what? Among them receiveth us not. Now, this is the exact opposite of Barnabas. What was it about Diotrephes? He says, I don't want him around. He's a threat. I don't want John here. He's a threat to my ministry. He's a threat to my comfort zone. I don't want to go to that church because it makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to read that King James Bible because it takes work. It's always a threat to you. That's Diotrephes. And Diotrephes, all he thought about was his hurts. All he thought about was his ministry. All he thought about was his success. All he thought about was his feelings. Does that match people today? Hmm. That's all of us. Diotrephes loved to have all the attention. He loved to be in first place, loved to be in charge, loved to get all the glory, loved to have everybody's compassion, loved to have everybody's pity. None of his life was ever sacrificed for others. May God save us from that spirit. There are people who are, are in their hearts, Diotrephes, they destroy churches, they split them, they bring up stupid arguments, and they... They leave people wounded. I have watched so many times people getting wounded by, by things that are said and done, some on purpose, some not on purpose. And, 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 but the, the ones that are on purpose, that are the diatrophies, 
Barnabas willingly would have given his life to save a church, never split it, never hurt a single person. Now, not everyone can become an Apostle Paul. Notice, Barnabas was not a kingmaker. He didn't go around and create an Apostle Paul, then Apostle Sean, then Apostle uh, um, Leo, and then he didn't just create, conquer, create, and, and, and manufacture apostles. Not everybody can be a great Apostle Paul, but everyone can be a Barnabas. Everyone can be a helper. Everyone in this room, not every one of you can be a great preacher. Not every one of you can be a great teacher. Not every one of you can lead ladies and, and, and lead great prayer groups. Not every one of you can go to the Sunday school and just wow those kids and get them living for God. But every one of us can be Barnabas. Not a, there's not a reason why we couldn't be. You just gotta start seeing people as that. And I don't care how little strength you and I got, we need to use it. No church needs to be full of the Apostle Paul. Think if everybody here was an Apostle Paul. You imagine we'd tear each other to bits. He went four minutes over. He didn't finish the verse. He read that verse wrong. Oh, he should have used another scripture. Oh, I'm telling you, you know, if I had preached that message, I would have used a whole different angle. You know, if, that's how Paul was. Paul was so precise. He just, he too sharp, man. A church full of Pauls would always, mm, He'd always be rebuking everybody, amen? But you know what? A church full of Barnabases, that's where I like to hang out, amen? That's where I like to be. Every church should be filled with Barnabases. Here's the conclusion a couple of questions. Who led you to Christ? Think about it for a minute. Who went out of their way, put up with all your arguments, all your disrespect, all your put-downs, Oh, you're running from God. You remember somebody just going after you and not, not, not letting you get out of, get out of their sight and saying, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Who stayed working on you? Loving you into God's kingdom. Do you remember that person? They were a Barnabas. Would you agree? Thank God. Thank God. Who's invested in your life? I bet there are more people that invested in your life than you think about. It's a great thing to have Barnabas's affecting you and me, invest in our lives. But it's even better when it's you and I investing in others, building up others. How do we get a church full of Barnabas's? Where do they come from? How do you get a church full of them? They come from the Barnabas's before us, who's invested us, and we go, I got to take up the mantle, and I need to carry on. Somebody's invested in me. I need to invest in others. That makes a great soul winner. That makes a great Christian. Who are you willingly and joyfully investing in? Right now, who are you investing in? You say, well, I'm investing in my kids. That's a Barnabas. Hallelujah, amen. But you got to step out a little bit more than that at some point where you start to say, you know what? There are people I need to invest in. I need to invest in their souls for salvation. I need to invest in their growth as a Christian. I need to be a blessing not a liability, not a, not a taker only. Who are you willingly and joyfully investing in? It's a must. We're going to have a church full of Barnabas. So you got to humble yourself. Go out of your way. Don't just sit there and, and come and go. Well, church is over. I'm going home. No, 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 no. Uh, the purpose of church is not for you to come and hang out for two hours. Plenty of better places you could be just to hang out if you want to go hang out. Church is to get our hearts aggravated, <laughs> agitated, motivated to be like Christ. And I'm going to have to decide to go out of my way to help somebody else. And that's going to humble me. I'm going to have to take a risk. I'm going to have to go into that Sunday school class. I think of Eric. I pity the class. But I think of Eric. And he's looking out at those kids. You know what, Eric, as tough as he can be sometimes, he looks at those kids and he thinks they're going to be great. They're going to learn this thing. They're going to take it. And they're going to one day. And he's actually, and I will joke and say, all the people that he and right now this week, uh, this, this month with Dean, we've been talking. And he'd say, these guys are going to be the Sunday school teachers of the future. Amen. 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 Be a risk taker. Be a risk taker in the team department. I mean, we're going to have 
uh, Target of Heart in a few weeks, and I'm praying for a dozen new kids in the teen department. I mean, all on John, amen. <laughs> but here's the point. Gonna have to take a risk and watch these guys come in, their attitudes. Think about teens coming in with the attitudes. You never had an attitude. But attitudes, the baggage, we're just gonna have to come alongside and say, man, it's good to have you here. Brother. <laughs> amen. That's a Barnabas. Now, some of them are going to burn out, flare out, run out, give out. Amen. But can we not just decide, I'm just going to humble myself and make some mistakes investing in a lot of other people? Go out of your way. Find a loner. Find somebody who's always quiet. Just go along there and be quiet with them. Ask them, have you read any good books lately? I go, no. You ought to try the Bible. <laughs> I was reading in Psalms and then just share them and encourage them. Amen. That's how you do it. Pick up a loner. Find a, a newly saved Christian. Here's Craig Ledbetter. 17 years old. I'm in church. And I mean, honestly, I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, from an atheist ha- family. I have no background and knowing what's going on. As a matter of fact, when I went to church the first couple of weeks, I didn't have a Bible. And, and honestly, I wouldn't have known if it was upside down or right side up when I was reading. There was one man, I have to tell you this, and we'll be finished. One man who, when I sat down to the church, there were 250 people there, and I sat down over there three-quarters of the way back. I sat in the middle of the aisle. There was all, It was a pew. It was a long, padded pew. So I sat in the middle. There was probably about six or seven feet of space this way and six or seven feet of space this way. I just felt comfortable there. And as Pastor Jack Humbert got up there and got ready to preach, and he said, open your Bibles, too, da, 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 this guy scooted over right next to me. <laughs> Nobody ever done that before. This guy was probably about, I don't know, in his 30s. And he put his Bible over in front of me and says, here's where he's preaching. That helped me. I had no idea where to find something like that. Then, as church was finishing, I'm getting ready to go out to my car. I was driving. And I was getting ready to go out to my car. And I'm looking around. Everybody's happy. Everybody's going home. I was going home to nothing, man. I mean, it's just this was great. I'm saved, amen, everybody's, it's just been like being in heaven, I'm stepping back down to a desert. And this woman came up behind me and says, Craig! <laughs> it was Maureen Smith, the woman who had given me the gospel, got me to come out of church, she said, you want to come over for lunch? And I nearly hugged her. And that was the beginning of almost every Sunday, she and her husband, Jack, invited me over for lunch, and we talked the Bible all afternoon until Sunday night. And they invested in me. They were my first experience with Barnabases. So where am I today? Not very far. But where I am is because of Jack and Maureen Smith. Where I am is because people were Barnabases to me, and my desire is to be one too. Father, would you help us to take a good look and see the people that have invested in our spiritual lives and worked on us, getting us saved, and then worked on us to get us to grow. And we say, God, don't let it be in vain. Let me be a blessing and a help and a, and a, and a, and a Barnabas. And encourage her. Stop my mouth from tearing things down. Stop my heart from discouragement. Help me be an encourager. Help me look unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of everything I want to be. Help me to be like him. In Jesus' name, amen.